Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to another edition of Taekwondo Life Magazine Live. My name is Mark Surianis. I'm your host. I'm a third Don Black Belt and I'm the editor-in-chief of Taekwondo Life Magazine. After a few episodes of me talking and, and doing a couple episodes on some topics of interest, I managed to secure a terrific guest for today's episode, and that is Tekla Hutirova. Tekla is a dynamic Taekwondo practitioner, martial artist, mixed martial artist, weapons master, stunt person, uh, dancer, acrobat of sorts, gymnast of sorts, instructor, two-time WKA world championship world champion in her division, um, and an all-around interesting and fun person to talk to. Uh, I first came upon uh, Tekla by observing and watching Amy Johnson's podcast and YouTube channel, uh, Hero Training, where they were discussing Tekla's role stunting in Daredevil 2, the blockbuster movie that, that she was associated with. And I noticed in watching that how precise and accurate Tekla's Taekwondo techniques were. She was teaching roundhouse kick and front snap kick and uh, spinning roundhouse kick or what she called tornado kick. And uh, as I began to study more, I realized that she was somebody who I was interested in speaking to and somebody who would be a good guest. Uh, we are both speaking from this episode is, is recorded during the quarantine she was kind enough to take time uh, while she's quarantining in Sedona and I'm in quarantining in New York to give me unlimited time and unlimited access to speak. Uh, it is one of the most enjoyable conversations that I can remember. I hope you will feel the same way. And I encourage you to check out the uh, life and career. And we talk a little bit about, we talked with Frances Pineda in the past a little bit about this uh, in the June Re episode, but about her work in motion capture, which is really of interest to me and sort of an up and coming and dynamic way for martial artists to be able to use their skills and integrate it with the video game generation. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tekla as much as I did. I hope you are safe and well, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Okay, so we are speaking today to Tekla Hutirova, who is coming to us from, in the, we're, we are still in the middle of our recording in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, and she's coming to us from Sedona, and I wanted to welcome her, and thank you for talking to Taekwondo Life. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. It's my, ple my pleasure. So I came across you in an interview that you did Actually, it was more than an interview, but uh, it was a program that you did with Amy um, Johnson and her uh, on her YouTube and her podcast, uh, something that was, you were doing um, stunt school or something that she was, oh, cool. she was interviewing. Yeah, 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 that was so fun. Nice. That's awesome. So one yeah, of the things Amy, that I observed, cool. and, I, and, I, yeah, and I want to get into, into your background, but one of the things that I couldn't help but observe as being somebody who's particularly um, been in the Taekwondo world for the better part of my life is that 
as I was watching it, I, sort, I was watching it sort of following her, but then I was, I was watching you teach and I was watching your moves, and it seemed to me that your, your background was your, your execution of technique is very, very close to the traditional Taekwondo that I studied, and it goes beyond that, but so it really piqued my interest. And then as I started to research a little bit of your background, I saw you have a background in film and stunts, in tricking and in, in, in martial arts, so of course... It, it raised my level of intrigue uh, e- even further. And we've, and we've talked to a lot of folks in, in sort of in, in the area of stunts and film over the course of the last couple of years. Um, Stephen Lambert was one of the guys, and S- Simon Ree we've spoken to, and, and, and a couple of folks. But tell me, um, the basic question is, how did you get started in the martial arts, and what, what martial art did you get involved in? Yeah, so I actually did two different schools of taekwondo when i was when i was like eight i think i started for a year and a half and then the instructor left so i had to start over at the next school that i went to um and that one i started when i was like 11 or so like 10 or 11 after uh after taking a summer camp at the school and that was a originally a junri junri school um, sure so his style and his curriculum and everything, which is basically it's, it's Taekwondo, but it's modern Taekwondo. So the forms up until like blue belt are all standing up. So you just learn the um, like punches and kicks and techniques without worrying about the stances. And then as you progress further on in the belts and into black belt and past that, you go more into the traditional forms and the traditional uh, like forms for the most part. Um, and then we also had my, my school was a little different in the sense that we also had like a couple people coming in and teaching jujitsu and teaching boxing every now and then um just random people coming into training so i kind of got the benefit of having a more mixed um experience as i sure. uh, grew up in the belts and then also with the tricking we had a demo team kind of like ernie race's west coast um team but way smaller on a smaller level um and and we had we did these performances and so I kind of got into the XMA sport karate stuff pretty early on as well as tricking. So I'm pretty, I, I lucked out with the school I ended up at for sure. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. Tell me how you got into, um, I'm always curious, uh, how did you end up, what drew, drew you to the martial arts? You know, sometimes it's a matter of um, people's parents put them in. Sometimes it's a matter of uh, bullying. Sometimes it's a matter of just, you know, I saw, I, I saw enter the, you know, people my age, I'm older than you. Um, I saw enter the drag and I saw the, I saw the karate kid. Um, what, what was it that drew you to martial arts in the big, to begin with? To begin with, uh, I guess my mom had always wanted to take martial arts as a kid and she saw classes and just put me in. And I just, I think I, I actually don't know. I just really, it's not like I had a huge passion for it, you know, like a burning, like desire to go to class all the time or anything, but I just kept going and I like, it was this like more sustained kind of dedication to it. And I think I like okay. the challenge and the belt system and everything as a, as a kid, you kind of like gravitate to being able to progress and, and I was good at it. So that helps like. Absolutely. Objectively. Well, I'm, 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 I know. Absolutely. Especially when, when you're younger, um, you yeah. know, kids like a, like a challenge, but they, but they certainly mm-hmm. like to do stuff that they, that they can excel. So did your mom, your, your mom had an interest in it. Did she end up um, getting on the mat as well? Or she, it was just something that no. you, you ended up doing a couple, a couple classes and like a kickboxing cardio class a few times, but she, she's a doctor. Uh, so she was always busy and um, sure. kind of didn't, didn't have the time for it, but I'm, I'm sure she would have loved it. 
she did learn a lot of our forms and everything because she she would come and sit in on classes every now and then and like she'd know my forms and combinations better than I sometimes. <laughs> Which you know, is a it's lot funny of parents that, that actually I, sat there. Abs- absolutely, and that's why I, I try to drag. A, you know, I think the the biggest impediment a lot of times for parents. Well, there's two things. One is time, as you said, your mom mm-hmm. busy doctor, but the other is. Uh, embarrassment they feel uncomfortable right oh, yeah. so but it, it isn't a lot of times knowledge because, yeah. because yeah because so many of them have exactly that they go over the forms and they go over the curriculum mm-hmm. with the children so they know it as well as the kids and 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 i see that and then so sometimes we manage to get them but but once you get them sometimes uh on the on the mat and they they, they get past that little bit of discomfort mm-hmm. a lot of times it becomes a it definitely becomes a family affair so um, oh yeah you know, absolutely I, and we definitely at our school had a few different uh a few different parents that that went pretty far up in the ranks with their kids one one lady she was like 58 by the time she got her black belt but she did it and it was like the coolest thing because her son was like a second degree and then her other son was a first degree and then like it, it's just so cool seeing that that is great that is it's great I, I i love it i love seeing families train together and it's become for me at the place where where i've trained for you know forever it's generational and and i see that you know a lot of a lot of black belt families and and it's really it is nice to see it, it's nice to see that everyone's included so so tell me about how you make the transition from being a martial arts student and tricking and, and demos into the break to do uh, stunts and film and, 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 and how, you, how you make your living today. How did that, that sort of trans- transition, was that the burning desire or was that by happenstance um, or a little bit of both? Kind of a little bit of both, I think. I, um, after I got my black belt, because I, I had competed a lot in Arizona on a state level, got some state championships and all that, um, as far as like sport karate forms, I, just, I I competed in forms a lot. I would do the like extreme forms and extreme weapon forms, which sure. I did nunchucks typically for. Um, and so after after I got my black belt and like competing on the state circuit was a little uh, not as entertaining anymore. I found the NASCA circuit, which is the North American Sport Karate Association, and it's one of the most um, well known and best circuits for sport karate out there uh and then I, I competed on that a bit and got to travel around the world around the states and then there was another circuit i went to scotland for that i got two world championships in um similar thing but different place different circuits so there's a bunch of sure. like sport karate circuits that you can compete in and you can get a bunch of different titles and things so i, I did that for a few years as well as went to a lot of tricking gatherings and I don't know how familiar you are or your listeners are with tricking but it's like it's basically it's mostly you, evolved it's, from taekwondo yeah, kicks I'm glad you're, asking, as a, as you're saying that because I, I was just, that is one of my questions is I, I'm mm-hmm. not I, I you know I spoke to Wadi Jones um, he used the term I've heard the term I saw it in the video but I'm not familiar I'm I'm my you know, my uh, relationship with martial arts as it relates to my own practice is much more in the traditional while we have demos and things. But tell me, what is tricking? Yeah, so tricking is kind of a combination of martial arts and, and acrobatics, like gymnastics, with also like breakdancing elements and capoeira, which is also martial arts, so definitely martial arts. But um, it's more acrobatic. So where we do like taekwondo does like tornado kicks and maybe 540s, tricking adds a bunch of extra rotations so we do like 900 
degree rotation. So we jump up and spin and then round kick and like spin three times and round kick. And then also, um, if you know how to like butterflies and butterfly twists, um, like from just like basics, uh, it, it, it grew a lot, especially over the last like 20 years into this crazy high flying, like gymnastic thing where people do weird off axis, um, acrobatics and then go up into the air and do like triple folds and, and quadruple folds and double backflips and everything. Um, so it's just, it's kind of like this cool little combination of, of Taekwondo kicks, like the Korean, uh, have you seen the demos where they do like the board breaking with the sure. giant spinning kicks? Yeah. So it's like part, partly that and partly gymnastics twists mainly. Um, and it, it's just its own thing. And it's, been it's 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 crazy because where gymnastics lands on two feet most of the time tricking because of the uh kicking basis kind of you end up landing on in in weird directions on different legs and you kind of keep going uh from that into other moves and it's it's just it's beautiful to watch especially lately because it's leveled up so much uh I don't know it's, if that explains it, it well. It's such a hard yeah, thing no, to explain, it, honestly. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it does. It, it does. And I think that, you know, there is a greater familiarity with it, um, even if people don't know it necessarily by the name tricking um, mm-hmm. from some of the acrobatic things that people see that, you know, lead from, again, the traditional martial arts into more acrobatics that, that generates from the basic martial arts techniques, whether it be through something, even when we're watching, as you said, uh, I think uh, the Cookie Wan demonstration team ended up um, on America's Got Talent and they had these mm-hmm, high yeah. flying acrobatic, you know, and, and some of those. Yeah, types exactly. Or like team sideswipe, sideswipe one right. America's Got Talent, I think one year. Yeah. Like that sort of, that sort of feel. Exactly. Absolutely. So how does it go from, from there? So you're making that transition from, martial artist to competitive martial artist to somebody who's involved in tricking and stunts and acrobatics to film television, motion capture, music videos, and, and all of those other types of things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot of people from the NASCAR circuit actually ended up going to Los Angeles to, to try stunts. Um, and I, I just kind of like was aware of that. I was like, oh, they're quitting the circuit, <laughs> losers. <laughs> right. And then they... <laughs> I was like, what? Why would you ever quit? So dumb. <laughs> um, so then I, I was kind of just watching people go there, and then simultaneously I was in uh, I was in theater class at the end of high school, like senior year, briefly, and then did some theater classes in college, um, in my community college, and some lessons as well. And then uh, basically I, I got. Um, interested in film because I booked a TV show pilot in Sedona where I was still living that uh, Dev Ross, who is the writer of the Land Before Time series, like the first three movies, and she was the first writer for Disney, and she lives in Sedona part-time, so she, she wrote this TV show pilot, and I randomly went to an audition, and we filmed the first few episodes of it, and never went anywhere with with that certain things that it got stuck on some stuff but um the experience i i really loved and i kind of wanted to pursue that more and i think i'd always been kind of interested in in acting as a kid um but i never 
I don't know, you don't think about it as a thing. Like, people ask you what right. you want to be when you grow up, and you're like, I don't know, I like animals, I'll be a veterinarian or something. Like, it's such a weird <laughs> question to ask kids to begin with. Um, right. <laughs> I actually heard somebody I actually heard, I actually heard somebody mm-hmm. say they think it's the worst, that they actually think it's the worst question that you can ask kids. It's, it's completely boxes them in. I don't know how I feel about yeah. it per se, but I, I, but that you should never ask kids. You should ask kids about their interests and you should ask them about what they like and you should ask them about mm-hmm. things of that, but never to try to get them to put them on the spot to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because yeah. how do they know? And, and, you know, they don't really understand their skill set and they don't necessarily even know everything that's out there and what's possible and, and things of that exactly. nature. So Exactly. I randomly came across this interview with this like 12 year old who has a company that makes six figures a year or something. I don't know. It's one of those money channel <laughs> things. And she said, besides like the normal stuff, like she said that uh, her parents who were also entrepreneurs had asked her what she wants to be now when she was younger. <laughs> and I really liked that. I was like, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's like, great. And she's like, I don't know. I guess I want to start a company, which is super cool when your parents are entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, no, that's an great. I, it's an interesting concept. I, I thought that was kind of cool. Absolutely. But we I, I agree. I think, no, I think it's great. I think it's thinking outside the box. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, saw oh, that awesome. more people should do that. Absolutely. And I saw that you, you know, some of your credits are Deadpool 2 and Pacific Rim 2 and, and, and those types of things. And, you, and you've done television. You seem to have done a lot of stuff in and around the, the Marvel um, mm-hmm. stuff, right? Agent, agents That's of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's because of tricking. 100% because of tricking. Uh, because all the superheroes do flips. So having that as a basis um, came really, really in handy. And it kind of set me apart from people pretty early on. I already had several connections from the sport karate tournaments and everything. And Mike Chat specifically, who is the founder of the XMA school and the style of like it's a certain style of sport karate. It's called extreme martial arts. Um, they had a they had a team that performed and everything. And now now he has a school and he does a lot of stunt classes for actors as well as just stunt people um, like fighting classes and stuff. But he actually helped me a lot because I got to teach at a school for a few years and then like got to teach acrobatics and tricking. And then it's really useful having connections in especially in in the film industry and i'm I'm sure in every industry in general um sure but definitely film industry because like people talk and specifically with stunts because it's such a i mean it it can be a dangerous thing right so a lot of people hire through word of mouth for the most part because you don't have uh you don't have an agent as a stunt person you do as, as an actor and i have like a commercial agent um but for stunts it's more the coordinator calls you up and hires you or, or you like they send your file to production and then they hire you. Um, but we, we have websites that we have our profiles on, but for the most part, sure. it's like you're on set with someone and the coordinator's like, Hey, I need a five foot one girl that can flip. And then your friend's like, Oh my gosh, I was just training with so-and-so. And it's like, it's kind of like, uh, it's safer that way because if you're vouched for sure, by someone sure. that they trust and they've already hired, um, and that goes a long way back when in stunts because like it was a much smaller group of people back in the day, I guess. Uh, so it's it's definitely it's it's interesting too in terms of the development of um, stunts and, and women because we spoke to um, mm-hmm. Stephen Lambert who's who's been doing it a long time and who's you know sort of on the other side of his his career now, and he had had a book that came out. And, you know, at the time that he was doing, particularly in, in 
martial arts world. There were so few mm-hmm. women who were doing what you do that he actually oh, yeah. had gotten permission for several of the films that he actually um, doubled and stunted for women because they didn't have uh, women that could that could have the skill set that he had. Um, and he has a relatively um, uh, slender body type. So he managed mm-hmm. to do that, which is, you know, unheard of today in the sense that there are, you know, so many capable, talented women that are that are um, that are involved in that world that, you know, the thought that that, that a male would would stunt for a, a female or a double for a female is just is is. is. But at the time, he said there was just such a lack of uh, of um, knowledge of women that were that were doing the kind of stuff that you do. Oh, absolutely. And it was such a small circle again back then, too. And it, it, even now it's still pretty small, but it's definitely grown a lot. And there's more diverse people and more different types of people that can do all of the skills and everything but it's still something that productions very much need to focus on like it's it's still very like right now it's very much on everyone's minds in hollywood like make sure you have the right ethnicity make sure you have the right gender right um and then there's also the the new interesting thing of gender uh neutral people and like oh now we have to find these other stunt people to match like Sure. You know, like, um, just like non-specific, non-binary and all that. So it's like there's there's more productions having actors like that. And it's sometimes it's it's such a weird thing because when it's like a basic stunt and anyone can do it, then you can get a really good match of a person. But sometimes when you need more specialty stuff, you can you kind of need to go a little bit outside of the sure. perfect person to match them because – like get as close as you can, but sometimes it's a big thing of safety, um, and and a specific skill. So sometimes you can get away with not matching perfectly, perfectly. So I understand how they would have just you know had him double women back then, but that's definitely not a not no. good anymore. <laughs> but it's good. It's no, good and, it's, and it's changing, and it's cool that there's so many more people aware of the industry itself. I think because the lack of people with the ability back then probably also stemmed from the lack of opportunity for those people, you know? So it's like, it's a I, weird I think that's little, a good, that's a, that is a very good point. It's a very good point. And I spoke, we, we did interviewed uh, Mindy Kelly and she mm-hmm. had done the, um, the, she had done, uh, not only, she had actually done all of the stunt and fight choreography for, um, uh, the art of self-defense. And one of the things she had talked to me about is that, you know, when they, when they worked on that film is that there was a conscious decision because the film, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a really great, um, movie with Jesse Eisenberg and, um, I haven't gotten to it yet. You know, I'd love to watch that. It's, that, on my it's list a now. great, it's a great movie about toxic masculinity in the martial arts mm. and, and in society and in doing Perfect. it and in being, and in having, um, the, making the decision to put a woman as the head of, of fight and stunt choreography, I think was, was a really, um, bold decision and there was a great attempt there to sort of balance out this notion of the toxic masculinity of the film with what was going on behind the scenes and and i think it was really it speaks a lot to the progress that's being made and the fact that it is more on people's consciousness i think there's obviously work to be done but i just Mm -hmm. thought it was a real cool um you know and and the film happens to be a great film and i think one of the reasons is it's a balanced film and probably having masculine and feminine and all types of different perspectives that went into it it really yeah. is it's 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 really great on a, on a lot of levels 
Yeah, I, fi- I find that, too. I've been on sets with, like, you know, mostly males or, like, a, a few females in charge. And then I've, I've been on sets with, like, female director, female AD and everything. And it, it is interesting seeing the balance that you, that you speak of with the having, like, having the balance of, of power and having those different viewpoints. Because it, it really does make more of a fully formed concept and it's interesting it's interesting you brought that up because i like that a lot but yeah, yeah it, it's, and it's great and if, if you have a chance to see that one see it it's, it's great and she's great i don't know how familiar you are with her but she was great to talk to too she's a she's got a great spirit and she's a dynamic athlete also i used to watch her videos on her like competition videos all the time she was one of my favorite people to watch and she sure. you know one of the things that you, you have in common with her which is interesting. One of the things I wanted to get into with you is for, again, for being around it for so long, one of the things that I thought that was great in watching your, your video in breaking down in the way that you break down techniques is that I think that you're a very gifted martial arts instructor. I thought that your the way that you broke down kicks and then bleeding up into the more complicated, the way that you explain them and the way that you broke down the techniques, I thought was very natural and very fluid. And I wanted to ask you about that. Is that something that in your martial arts training, did you, did you have the role of instructor? Is it something that you oh, yeah. trained at? Is it something that you're just naturally gifted at? Or is it something that comes with the, the, the later work that you did? Because like I said, I think that your, your, your ability to break down the execution of techniques I thought was really digestible, which I think is so important oh, for you. somebody who's on the receiving end of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Um, I, we, we did have to book a certain hours of teaching, a certain number of hours of teaching after Red Belt. So I think it was like 20 hours of teaching on Red Belt and then 50 at Brown. And then like before, before Black Belt, you had to have a certain hours, certain amount of hours um, right. at the school itself as part of the training. Because you really, you really do learn a lot from having to explain stuff and teach and then I, it's just, I've done it a lot. I've taught a lot. Um, like I said, I, I worked at Mike Chat School for a few years when I was first in LA and also did a bunch of private lessons uh, in, in competition and stuff. And I think, and as well as seminars. And I think part of it is also that I've trained a bunch of different people um, and everyone kind of has understanding things. So I've had to figure out different ways of explaining different things to different people with different backgrounds. And I think that has a huge impact because you teach a five-year-old how to flip, like how to do a back handspring by just throwing them into it, right? Like you hold them and you put them on their hands, you put them on their feet and eventually they jump and learn and figure it out. But with adults, I can't do that because I'm five foot one. So um, <laughs> like, so with adults, I would teach them backflips first into a foam pit or I would teach them other uh, other moves or, or have things like have different drills and have more drills to work up to it um, and just kind of coming up with the most efficient way of explaining it to a certain person has really like I, I, I really enjoyed that process and like because it's, it's, it's not that they're not getting it if they can't get what you're saying it's that you're not portraying it well for them or you're not explaining it in a way that they can relate to so it's like just finding the variety of different ways that work and then practice you know just like doing it over and over and seeing which methods and which way of saying things work better for most people and then I kind of just use those in in whatever tutorials but that's really sweet of you to say I really appreciate that because I kind of pride myself on that. 
No, it's it, it, it's evident. I was very imp- I was really impressed. So tell me about how that leads into for you. Um, you know, I, I I know that when you do stunt work, that uh, some of it to some degree is um, solitary, right, and isolated, depending on on what you're doing. But a lot of it relates to choreographing with other other people, right? If you're doing a fight scene or if you're mm-hmm. doing scenes that involve other other people, to what extent um, does that uh, role of of instructor um, and in terms of your experience, lead into that that progression. Do you take the role yeah. of uh, of working for your with yourself, or or do you do you generally take either by de facto or by appointment the role of you know choreographing and coordinating the the, the groups that you're you're working on on these projects? Yeah, so it depends on the group size and the size of the project. I've done a little bit of like little itty bitty stunt coordinating, stunt fight fight choreographer jobs, but on just like friends projects or a a small music video or something. Um, And I haven't gotten into that as much yet. There's definitely a fight choreographer and a stunt coordinator that are in charge of um, that whole aspect, like planning and everything. But in in pre-vis sometimes, um, which is pre-visualization, which is where you kind of set the big movies do it and, and some games and some TV shows do it as well if they have a budget where you set the stunts and the fight choreography ahead of time and you film it as you would on set in a gym setting so that you can show it to the director so that the stunt coordinator can show it to the director and then they can make all the adjustments ahead of time so they save a lot of time on location and on set. Um, so in, in that situation, you're working in more of a team setting and you kind of uh for some of the fights you kind of end up breaking off into groups and you're like okay you guys come up with like three different variations of this and you guys come up with three different variations of that and we'll see um you kind of present it to the fight choreographer and the stunt coordinator whoever's around and you end up maybe filming them all and just like seeing what happens um so so in that sense i've done a bit and then in there you kind of come up with the idea and you pitch it to your friends or to your coworkers, and then you go from there um and it's more of a collaborative effort actually the the teaching kind of um at, at first was it was really hard to go backwards in my mind to not being the one in charge because because of the teaching right. so it was interesting that um like I, I learned it pretty quickly but at first i was always like oh but what if we like i wanted to say you know, an idea of like, oh, I think I, I, I think I would like be able to explain this better or something. But if it's not your place, you also have to understand that. Um, sure, but then sure. Also, it's an interesting yeah, dynamic, right? Absolutely. And then also when you're working with actors, um, a lot of times you end up getting to teach them the fight too, because, you know, sometimes they're really good and they can just do most of the fight. And then you just do the actual, like the stunts and the falls and everything, or at least for the overlaps, they, they need to know where... Um, where the fight is and it's it's interesting because you do get to kind of like teach them the moves as their stunt double um but also with other people giving input as well you want to be careful not to overwhelm them so it's, it's interesting because you really have to kind of make sure that what you're saying is going to benefit them rather than just confuse them sure they already have so much on their plate like they're there are they've already been there in makeup like probably longer than you have they've been doing dialogue for the last half a day and then they come to you for the half hour stunt rehearsal and it's like you really want to make sure that it's just the essentials of what they need so it's like it's like an interesting interesting place not being the only one teaching so that was definitely a 
So definitely an adjustment at first. Well, it's interesting you, you say because one of the, the themes has been, you know, I spoke to Simon Ree and um, I spoke to, you know, and he's been in the business for, for a very long time. And in speaking oh, to yeah. Mikel, you know, one of the things that's really dramatically changed is, and it can vary from movies to movies are, you know, if you're the amount of budget and, and prep time, right, for something. So mm-hmm. if you're doing a John Wick or something um, where there's a tremendous budget and there's a tremendous amount of lead time for the preparation, there's, one, you know, one set of ways to approach it. But for other things, you know, uh, I, I, I spoke to Simon about a couple of things that he's got coming up where he has a very short time and you know when Mindy Mm. Kelly told me she worked on the art of self-defense she had an extremely short period of time with with people who were going to be martial artists that had no martial Mm -hmm. arts background exactly that's got to be to some some degree very challenging right oh absolutely yeah and I still wonder about production decisions on those all the time yeah that's always an interesting one I'm like why didn't you just make the Iron Fist character someone who did know martial arts to begin with (laughs) Right, right. And, you know, example, I think that to some, know. to some, no, but it's, no, but it's, it's interesting. And, and I think to some degree it relates to the fact that perhaps some of the people that are on the outside, um, that are, that are on the inside of it, if they're really not familiar with martial arts, but they don't of really understand the distinctions. Like when I speak, I, I spoke to, uh, I have a very good relationship with Jesse B. Johnson. And in, when he, you know, he has a great understanding of, of, these types of choreography and fight choreography and understands, you know, the distinctions. And I think that he's really cognizant of the fact that when people go to see these types of, of movies that they want to see good, you know, they're not just looking mm-hmm. to see, you know, it, it, it isn't just a, an appendage to the story that he wants right. to have the balance of a good, a good story. I think what happens sometimes in movies is that they make the decision that it's either going to be a good story or there's going to be good action, but that you're very rarely going to have a good story in an act in, in an action in an action film, which is yeah, you know exactly the, the, sacri- think, the sacrifice that they make. Exactly, exactly. It's like dance movies or, or whatever other right. kinds of like movies about specific things. It's like oh yeah, the storyline doesn't have to be good in a dance movie. It's a dance movie, and I think that is right. changing quite a bit especially with action movies right now because a lot of like Chad Stahelski and David Leach um, and uh, just like a lot of fight choreographers stunt, coordinate, stunt choreographers um, that went into second unit directing which is the action unit um, ended right. up, are, are ending up doing directing and I, I think having that is really really important because you can see kind of the blending of the action more effectively and efficiently into the storyline and it it just it makes a more cohesive action movie without it being like dialogue 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 oh they're fighting it's like there's reasons for it and they know how to direct as well as as they understand action and also what angles to shoot it from and everything so it's really cool to see the rise of like the second unit directors and the stunt coordinators directing now like sam hargrave Absolutely, just, just did, uh, did right, yeah. the uh, extract, mm-hmm. extraction, which exactly, is phenomenal. Exactly. I, 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 yeah, yeah I, I think I think it's phenomenal, and it raises the bar for. I just did a piece on um, the films of um, in some of the Indonesian films of like Eko mm, yeah, Uwais, and absolutely. and so, the they're they're films that have great stories and great action, and they're very well integrated. Mm-hmm. I mean. They are really, yeah. It's about really, the integration, exactly. And and that's exciting. That's an exciting place to be, and it lends itself to a, mm-hmm. a bright future. Future. So, in on that, and in, in terms of of watching you, I heard you say in one of the interviews that you weren't 
initially a huge fan of nunchucks, but obviously you're very proficient in them. And oh my God, you, you're, I hated you're, you're very good at them. How did weapons come into your, um, your arsenal? Was it something that was just a product of, uh, you know, your, your normal training or, or, or you consciously took it over and got involved in them for the purposes of, of increasing your marketability for films and things? Or how did that, how did that come to be? Oh no, I've been, I've been competing with nunchucks for like years and years, probably like, 13 years or something um i we we had a night martial arts school again like we had regular classes and then we had sparring classes which i hated and then we had tricking classes on friday afternoons which were amazing because we got to wear t-shirts instead of the whole gi with the top and the belt and then we had weapons classes as well um so and and the curriculum was you know, like they they made up the curriculum, so we had like sure. basic moves that we had to learn and put them together in a form, and then you'd get a patch. Um, and then from that, I ended up uh, since I was on the demo team, I ended up getting the opportunity to perform with whatever weapon I was working on or um, whatever one I liked the most. And nunchucks kind of ended up being my go-to after a while because not a lot of people end up doing them too much like everyone does bow everyone does sword people do commas sure and they were also the most challenging i think and the most versatile so i think i really liked that about them and then i watched later watched people like matt emig and uh Gemma nguyen and just like you know all these amazing nunchuck performers that were killing it on nasca so i ended up doing forms there but the first time I did nunchucks, it was at the summer camp that I talked about, and we made them out of toilet paper rolls as, like, a craft. Um, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so you just, like, take two toilet paper rolls and tie them together with a, a string or something. And that was super annoying. I hated those. Um, so I have a specific brand of nunchucks that Matt Emig makes that um, are the ones that I like the best because you can do the most like fancy stuff with them like you can do finger spins and hand rolls and things because their chain is a lot shorter than like traditional nunchucks um sure so those are the, those are the ones that i end up using but because i i think the traditional ones you know they limit the flow of of combos a bit sure to catch them and which and ones are those i was and stuff. I, I looked for um after the video i watched the video i looked for the indication mm-hmm. of which ones those were, but I couldn't find it in the in, in the notes. I might have just missed it. W- which were oh, the ones yeah. that you were using in in those? Because they they did they looked a lot more um, uh, manageable. And I liked your point about about uh, less, you know, the ability to especially you know have the ability to to do spins or whatever on them. If, if the if the chains or the 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 st- string is too long, it sometimes becomes mm-hmm. a little bit untenable. Yeah, exactly. Because they don't they just don't fly around the same, and the string kind of catches. Um, the ones I specifically use are Matt Emig's brand. Um, he's like the nunchuck pioneer of all the forms, competitions, and everything. I don't know if pioneer, but he's definitely like, like, kind of made made it a thing. Um, it, they're on his website, mattemig.net, I think, and they're okay. really great. I think there's ones by G Force in the Century catalog that are similar as well. Um, okay. The main thing is that they're lighter, they're kind of skinnier, and they have three, three or four links on the chain um, versus like eight or ten or whatever. I use the three because my hands are kind of smaller. If your hands are bigger, use the four link ones. Um, sure. But it's it's definitely the amount of links. And then also, what's great about the ones that I like is that the 
not the bearing, the like metal bit that connects to the wood isn't super giant compared to the wood. Like it's kind of the same size as the piece of wood, which makes it smoother to do the hand rolls and the finger rolls and stuff. Yeah, they were lean. They look like they were, they mm-hmm. were lean. I'm gonna, I'll check them out, and if they, what we'll do is we'll probably just put a link to Matt's. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll send you a link. Site. I think it's dot net. Yeah, that's great. That'd that's be great. Per- that, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. So, so talk to me in in, and I could talk to you all day, and I really appreciate the time. But in the interest of time, <laughs> no I, I want to sort of like talk a little bit about. You know, we are in a sort of a, a strange pause in in society. Um, but but after all of this, um, you know, after all this this breaks and people start to return to normal, what do you, what, you know, what does the future lie for you for the remainder of the year to the extent that you know, or the remainder of, you know, the, the next upcoming years? I know, you know, from the standpoint of movie making and you know, everyone's consuming so much content at home now, but nothing's getting made, right? So mm-hmm. um, other than other than Zoom Zoom videos, but um, but you know yeah, what lies ahead for you for for the remainder of the year and and and, and upcoming in the near future? What what do you have on your on your plate and on your calendar that that you can share with us? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a few video games that I might be working on in the future. That I, I had a few different days of uh, shoots that got you know moved back and canceled before all this ended up blowing up, and then uh, I'm work on kind of maybe making a TV show idea that I want to try to sell to people. So a, a writer friend of mine and I are kind of working on that a bit. That would be, I'm not going to say anything because it might not happen, um, but that would that's be really fine. Cool. That, that, That's fine. <laughs> that, that's fine. But you got some projects, in, 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 you know, in the works. The video game stuff yeah. is interesting. I, I, um, I spoke to uh, Francis Pineda. I don't know if you know him, but he runs the June Rhee School in Arlington. In Phoenix. Actually, he no, is... in Arlington. Oh, Arlington. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so. Funny. Yeah, he runs the one in Arlington. He's, Arlington. He was one of the. That's right. Yeah, he's one of the top. The top. Um, you know, he was probably. I, we did a show on the first anniversary of the passing of Grandmaster June Rhee, and we spoke to mm. um, his uh, Grandmaster Rhee's son, uh, Chun, mm-hmm. and we spoke to Francis Pineda, and he, uh, Francis awesome. runs the. Yeah, he was great, and he did one of these also. He had done a couple of these um, video game captures. So how does that work? Is that one of these things where you sort of do the, um, you know, you're covered in uh, you're covered in a bunch of balls in front of a, a, a green screen kind of a thing, and then they they shoot you and and put you into the into the game? Yes, not in front of a green screen though. Um, actually, uh, Francis Pineda was my my instructor's uh, instructor, I think. Which is super cool. Oh, really? That, um, that, or, makes, or, that makes sense. Or he, he got his he, belt from him or something. That's super that makes neat. sense yeah. because Francis is yeah he's one of the you know he's one of the the you know he's like one of the two most recognized uh, Junri students and yeah. instructors in the inti- in the entire exactly. country and a great guy. Yeah. He's a great human being. I really I, I'm That's a big fan awesome. of his as a, as a person. That's awesome. That's so great to hear. Yeah, Caleb Labarda, my instructor, I think either got his belt from him or or had trained with him a lot because I remember the name like you said it I was like why is that so familiar yeah that's That's super cool it's a small community right so it really is yeah but yeah so uh mocap is in a studio it's it's a usually typically there's a there's a few different ways to capture it but you it's the basic idea is you have a lot of cameras around you that are infrared shining lights on these little balls that glow, not glow, but they like reflect the light um, so that the cameras can kind of capture the different points on your body. Um, and they're, the balls are specifically, they're called markers, but everyone calls them balls because it's more fun. Um, but they're specifically, right, right, right. Placed at, like, <laughs> they're specifically placed at joints so that 
once the cameras capture stuff, they end up linking them into little stick figures or in post you can put them on actual like pre-made animation, like pre-made drawings that you then animate. Um, and the, the post-production part of it's crazy. Like people, you can actually, they, they have real time sometimes the character moving as you are, which is super nice to have because then you can practice with it. Um, but yeah, basically usually you're in a studio with a bunch of trusts with a bunch of cameras on it and then you're in a Velcro suit uh, doing fight scenes and playing with Nerf swords and things. It's it's honestly some of the best like imagination play ever. But it's still I, I would imagine and it's it's such a sh- crazy um, and exciting way to be memorialized, right? In terms of your um, your skill and your personality, right? People think about being in movies and things, but if you look at the penetration of the the video game market is so international and so broad and so large that that actually being memorialized in these um, types of things really is 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 really pretty impressive in terms of the the numbers of people who to some degree have seen your work and may not even necessarily understand that it's you right oh exactly I mean maybe and some of the them do about, but... yeah I was gonna say that's the thing about mocap like unless you're a specific character and it's your face that's kind of being portrayed it's like it's such a mel mishmash of things like there's voice actors doing the voices for random characters while you're the one doing the falls or walking around for random characters. And it's so fun to, on, on one hand, like it's really fun because you get to come into a session and you might be one character the whole time or you might be a whole bunch of different ones and you might be like random people dying in the background and then another day or another take, you might be a zombie chasing the same person that just died. And like there's, there's so much that you can do with it, but it is, it is weird to talk to people that are, aren't in that world about it because like even in film like you're kind of one character or or you maybe right. get to kind of be a couple soldiers in the background if your face didn't get shown or anything like things like that but with mocap it's so easy to be whatever that like even in, in Mortal Kombat that I worked on people are like oh my gosh you worked on that which character were you and it's like I did I did movement for one of them as far as like in-game stuff but also did a lot of the cinematic uh, like the walkthroughs and the fights and everything, and in that you're whatever character you need to be. Like it, it's just whichever people in whichever fight scene you are. Like you're the army people sometime, and you're like different characters other times, while your your coworkers are the other ones. And it's like it changes so many times that it's interesting to try to tell people. You're like ah, uh, <laughs> which character? It, it sounds like a lot of fun, which seems to describe. Um, your, 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 your journey, you, you, you have a very infectious personality. And I think that you, you bring a lot of, uh, seriousness, but, but that you're, you're very, um, you have a, a really positive approach to the stuff that you do. And I think that that's infectious. And I wanted to really thank you for, for, for talking to us, um, today. Um, I don't know if there's anything that you want to leave our, our audience with, uh, either, um, any words of advice for, you know, we always have people that are, that are interested. Many of them are, are, you know, study martial arts as their life's journey, but many of them it's for the supplementing other areas of their life. But any, any sort of words of advice on, on things that they can do to, to increase their level of happiness or, or, or success in, in the world, uh, anything that you want to share with them? Yeah. I mean, I just, I think Taekwondo and, and martial arts in general is just such an amazing thing to, to do with your life. Like even if you like, it, it doesn't have to be something that 
is your end goal. It's just amazing supplementally as well. Like, you know, I have friends that I competed with and who did, who got their black belts and everything and, and they didn't stick with it and they're not making a career out of it, but they still got so much out of it. And I think it's just such an amazing thing. And I think everyone should be doing it. So your viewers are awesome for being part of this crazy world. And I'm, I'm just really grateful to Taekwondo and to my school and everything as well, because it gave me such an amazing foundation for this. Um, well, as far as leaving your listeners with something, I mean, just keep training and keep enjoying it. I think it's easy sometimes to get caught up in like needing to be better than someone or just, you know, like, caught up in the belt or anything just just keep enjoying the process i think is a very important well, thing to remember well that is that's great that's great and and tecla uh who who ro- rova right i want to thank you for talking to us we look forward to i look forward to watching your following your journey on on youtube and following your your movie career and 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 your television career and the things that you that you're up to and um i thank you for talking to us today and uh, we look forward, we, we, we wish you, obviously, now in this crazy time, we wish you health and safety. Um, and, and when the world gets back to, to normal, we look forward to hearing more about what you're up to. Same to you. And uh, if you want to follow me, Instagram is the best. And I can send you a link. It's just my full yeah, name. Yeah, please. If you would, please send me, um, send me your link for Instagram and send me any of the things that you want us to link in our, in our show notes. Because we, we, you know, we do that and we, we put it on our website. And then, obviously, it goes with the show notes for the uh, for the podcast and I'll, and I'll send you obviously once as we get closer to the release date, I'll let you know the release date and we'll send you the promotional stuff that you can, you can, you know, put on your social media and stuff. Perfect. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. It, it's great. And enjoy Sedona and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And thank you very much. We'll do till next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.